You're listening to the Whenever It Kicks podcast with me, Jessie Kay. In this episode, I'm going to be talking about feeding, breastfeeding, formula feeding, mastitis, vomiting, and in general, boobs, lots of boobs. Thank you for listening. This is my third attempt to start this podcast. This is episode five. It's 9.45 at night and this is my first nighttime podcast. And it's quite an exciting experience for me. I'm used to uh, doing my day work, not used to sitting doing night work um, like this. The reason being is we live next to a building site in the city and wow, it's loud, (laughs) very loud. And I don't want any more sound complaints from lovely podcast listeners. I know you mean well, but I, uh, I, I want to impress you. So I've tried to make the audio a little bit better this episode. And that's why I've stayed up late to record this special episode just for you. Alfie is not here. He is doing his show at the Soho Theatre. Very, very good show. And I miss him. (laughs) And I watched, because he refuses to watch, the first episode of... No, actually, actually, I watched the second episode. I watched the first and second episode of This Is Us. And I only watched it because it was on... I don't know, it came up. Me and Bibi were talking about it in our podcast last week. And I said, I think I'm going to get into it. And Bibi was like, no, don't get into it. I said, but I love Mandy Moore. She's one of the most beautiful women in the world, in my opinion, up there next to Jessica Alba, I think. And I thought I'd give it a go, mainly because there's so many series of it. And I need something to get my teeth into in the forthcoming months with this new baby, perhaps, and just having more alone time because Alfie's going on tour and I'm going to be guarding the other kids. I need something to watch. It doesn't need to be brilliant. It just needs needs to be watchable. That's my requirement. It needs to be watchable. And most vitally, it needs to be good enough to stop me writing my novel because that novel needs to, you know, needs to get written. And if something's going to stop me writing it, got to be watchable and good enough uh if that makes any sense whatsoever i'm sorry i've realized that this podcast and things like this is us is just a, a strange form of procrastination on my part to write write my novel but i am going to persist with the novel and with this is us and mandy moore is brilliant come on Annoyingly, the first episode made me cry. I wasn't enjoying it. Then right at the end, it got me. Because Mandy Moore gave birth to triplets, but one of them didn't survive. And I mean, if you're pregnant and watching anything about birth, you are going to cry, especially if one of the triplets doesn't make it. So I really cried, really, really cried. And that got me hooked and now I'm, I'm almost at the end of episode two. So well done, Mandy. That's all I can say. 
it's exciting to run a nighttime podcast. I feel like I'm got a little bit of a different energy. Do you think it's a like a a more fun energy or just a more like tired energy? I don't know. This episode, I wanted to talk about feeding. So feeding, not me, feeding uh, the baby when the baby comes. And I am going to talk about my past experiences with Donnie and Margot Anten, my attempts to breastfeed, my success with breastfeeding, my failures with breastfeeding, my experience with colic. Is that the word? Reflux. Reflux, colic, all of that. We've we've done it all in this house. Uh, And I don't know, share any wisdom I have about breastfeeding or apprehension you have about whether to breastfeed. I'll just talk about boobs maybe just in general for a bit to start off with just to get me into it. So boobs. I don't think mine were ready with Donnie. So I, and not to be too graphic, but my boobs are very different than to, they are, to what they are now. I think they were, I think I've always just had quite a slow body. And I mean, I've, I've, I think I've talked in this podcast before about my lack of periods, my polycystic ovaries. Maybe I've had 10 periods in my entire life. I'm 34. So that's quite few, isn't it? And, um, I just think my boobs followed, followed suit and were very delayed in their development, not in size, but in what they are for, which is largely to feed a child. And so when Donnie came out early, he was 10 days early or seven days early, but you know, my waters broke 10 days early and then I was induced. So I still think of him as 10 days early. Um, I just think my when they when the when the baby was finally here and I tried to get him on my boob, he just didn't know what to do and my boobs didn't know what to do. I didn't know what to do. And it took a few days. So he he really wouldn't latch. I didn't even know the word latch then. I really didn't know anything. And I just thought it would come so easily to me because my mum was a great breastfeeder she breastfed all five of us I just thought oh you know what how hard can it be the baby sucks your boob what's the big deal it really sorry it really is not as simple as that and your entire I don't know your whole day revolves around trying to get this baby to get anything out of you and it Donnie just didn't and we were in hospital it became quite clear that the midwives weren't letting us leave I just suddenly panicked and thought oh I'm not recording but I am don't worry I am calm down um oh I don't know why I said that oh god I don't like this nighttime version of myself anyway the midwives were basically not telling me that they weren't letting me leave and us go home because they were worried that Donnie wasn't getting any milk, which was absolutely fair. So on day two, they suggested, and this is very quick to suggest, but I was so young, I didn't think about it. I didn't know I had options. I didn't 
basically they said, can we give the baby some formula, please? He needs to have some formula now. Otherwise, it's going to be dangerous and you're not going to be able to leave the hospital. He's lost weight already. We are going to give the baby some formula if that's okay. And of course, I was just, you know, I just so wanted the baby to be okay. I was just like, yeah, okay. Yeah. So they gave him a tiny bit of formula. And I still kept trying to feed him. And I didn't know because you just, I don't think you do. And I think maybe women are more aware now because of things like Instagram and everyone talking a bit more openly about breastfeeding things. But I should have said, now I, now I realize, I should have said, please, can I have a breast pump to try and get my boobs going to get the milk in? But I didn't think to say that and I didn't know and no one really told me. My mum, my if she had been there, she was, I don't know, she wasn't able to be at the hospital the entire time. So she wasn't there. I think maybe she would have said. But so I kept trying to persist really with breastfeeding, but it didn't work. So he from day one, really. The first day he had a bit of formula. And I really beat myself up about that. <laughs> and remember at this point, I wasn't really comfortable with my, I don't know, me and Alfie barely knew each other when we had Donnie. So getting my boobs out in front of Alfie still was, was like a new thing. I wanted to be sexy. I wanted to be new, his like new girlfriend, not suddenly like topless you know, feeder with a breast pump attached to her. So the whole thing was quite difficult. And obviously I loved seeing Alfie feed Donnie with this tiny little baby bottle of formula. It was lovely, but I also was massively torn because I knew I should be feeding the baby. So my mum sensed this and she very quickly, once we got back from the hospital, say on day four, she was like, or you need to get some help really quickly with your boobs. Otherwise, your milk's going to go and it's going to be too late to feed the baby. You need to bond with him. Otherwise, you're going to lose your chance to breastfeed. And I know you want to breastfeed. So she managed to find a, uh, a group, like an NCT type group. I don't know what it was in Queen's Park, which she drove me to. And I think Alfie was a gig or something. So I didn't manage to tell him I was going to this clinic and we got in the car we took Donnie we went to the clinic we opened the doors to this clinic and there were a bunch of women on sofas with babies on top of them feeding at all in all positions really I'd never seen anything like it and I felt so I felt like a little girl I felt so embarrassed it was so weird of me to be so embarrassed but it was just so open. They were all being so free with their boobs being out and these babies hanging off them and all looked so comfortable. And <coughs> Sorry. So I just immediately, again, kind of shut down and felt insecure. But this woman, I don't remember anything about her face. I think I was just in such a new mum blur. I 
I remember her saying very quickly, okay, well, yeah, here's your pump. Here's your double pump. Off you go, type thing. She didn't even, she, she looked at Donnie very quickly, assessed him, opened his mouth, and basically diagnosed him as having tongue tie. And I had no idea what tongue tie was. I didn't know anything. And my mum had never had a baby with tongue tie, I don't think. So we were both a bit clueless and the woman was like, yeah, we can cut that for you. And I was just like, what? 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 No. Obviously, she wasn't saying she was going to cut his tongue right there and then. It would have been having to come back. So we had this drive back to the flat with, because I was living with my mum and my brother and my sister when Donnie arrived. Alfie stayed with us, but because we were so new, we didn't really live together yet. And um, we arrived back home with this huge, huge double pump. And I was told I had to pump every three hours for 20 minutes on each side. And that doesn't, that doesn't, does that sound like a lot? It was a lot. And so I was then sofa bound with this pump. Alfie arrived back. And we said, okay, we might have to, you know, he might have tongue tie. That might be why he's not latching onto me. Maybe we sh- we need to cut his tongue. And Alfie was really upset about it, I think. And then I was too. And I think it was because it was suddenly something out of our control and scary to, to cut a baby's tongue. And I know it's something that happens all the time, but um, it was just so new to us. Anyway, we ended up not going through with the tongue tie cutting. And I sat there and I pumped and this, this double pump made such a huge, huge sound. Like a, I don't know what it was like. It was like a, a cow mooing. And I felt so ridiculous. And then what happened is I got addicted to pumping and then realized that I wasn't holding the baby enough and then that made me feel guilty about oh I'm not bonding with the baby and but but I need to produce milk for him and so basically I got addicted to pumping this milk so I had excess milk that he wasn't taking off me so I felt good about the fact that my boobs were producing milk now and almost kind of had a sense of I don't know I felt like I was providing something for him and he would then have that bottle fed with a little bit of formula every so often. And slowly I worked up to feeding him more breast milk than I did formula. But that didn't really work that long. I gave the double pump back and I managed to feed him a little bit more, which was amazing. And after a few weeks, I think I managed to be breastfeeding him a lot and giving him also a lot for me. I think he was overfed, to be honest. Maybe that's what happened. I mean, he's not a big boy. He's still tiny, but maybe he was overfed. And but it was just all out of whack, you know, and I felt such guilt about it and just didn't really anticipate it being such a big deal. And I lasted until 10 months with my breast milk. And then I was doing an Edinburgh show in 2015. 
and I got a bit too thin, I think, and decided, okay, I'll stop breastfeeding because I was feeling really weak. And and breastfeeding does burn loads of calories. And I just think I just got a little bit too weak. And so thought, okay, it's a good time to stop. Even though I really didn't want to, because I still liked having that kind of control over what he was having. And I maybe I was addicted to pumping still. So whenever I went away to film, I would take my pump and I would spend all of that time when I wasn't working pumping. I had this one job when uh, Donnie was eight months where I had to go to Portugal for three days and I was still breastfeeding. And I just went and I was doing night shoots for three nights and I ended up going and spending the entire day breast pumping. And then having to pour that down the drain because there's no way the breast milk would last until I got home. And it was my only way of feeling like I was I was still mothering Donnie not being there, which is ridiculous. But it was my way of coping, I guess. And then I went straight on to do an episode of Call the Midwife, which weirdly, my character was a new mum who had inverted nipples. <laughs> and so... My character had to have these nipple shield things. And I remember trying these nipple shields on and thinking, maybe I have inverted nipples. Maybe that's one of my problems. I don't think I do. But that was a really cathartic job because this, and I, I think I only got the job because in the audition, I, this, this, this character, Connie, is crying about not being able to give her baby the best. And she thinks breast is best. And, She's afraid that she's failing as a mother because she's giving her baby formula, which was exactly how I was feeling. And in the um, audition, I just burst into tears during the reading and cried very well, very well. And I, I got the job. I think that's the only reason, because I was literally living Connie's story. But however many years later, in worse clothes. So, yes, I then, so Donnie was, um, keep calling him 10, was 10 months old when I stopped. And he then just went full on to formula. And we had so much formula. It's just, I, so much formula. He had so much formula. And I think he actually has a milk intolerance like Ken does now, which I'll talk about later. But he had really bad skin and, like eczema and stuff, and I, I think that was all the dairy. Anyway, it didn't change the fact that I felt incredibly bonded to Donnie initially, and and that only grew. And all I know is that I tried my best to feed him, and even though it wasn't the uh, the you know perfect easy breastfeeding experience, it was still. A beautiful one and I think it's actually he he's such a complex little boy and I think it was just him I think he's just like just thinks too much and maybe that's what was happening he was thinking too much I was thinking too much just didn't work my boobs aren't ready they didn't know what to do we were just figuring it out him being my baby me being his mom I don't think he was tongue-tied actually I think it was just well, let's just let's just see how it goes. See how it goes. So that was Donnie, and to just <laughs> mark 
Margot was just the complete opposite. So her birth was a lot easier, um, as I, I said in episode two. And she honestly came out and was within about one minute. She she was on my, she was sucking. And she, I wish I'd done that thing like you see in these YouTube videos of the baby shuffling their way up the mum's stomach to find the nipple. I'd love that to happen. That'd be so cool. That wasn't what happened. I, I put her on my nipple and she went for it. And I, she, sorry, I've got something in my throat. Don't worry, I don't have COVID. <coughs> she, she loves me telling the story of how she just immediately got my boob. And she is a, she's a good eater, much better than Donnie. She likes her food and she liked my boob. And breastfeeding her was the simplest, just most amazing experience. And it lasted for one year and then it just came to a, an easy end. And I just cannot believe how easy it was in lots of ways. I didn't really even pump and I thought I would get addicted to pumping again, but I just didn't even need to. And because we co-slept and me and Alfie had broken up when she was a little baby. So I, I was in the bed with her. So feeding her at night was just the easiest way of getting sleep and all easy. I didn't have any um, boundaries on feeding her. I just fed her on demand and fed her during the night. And it was just so easy. And I am so grateful for that experience. And it probably meant that going into the third baby with 10, I, I thought, oh, well, I know what to do. I did this. I did it all perfectly with Margot. Like, surely this baby will be just get straight on it. Be brilliant. Obviously, it was the it was, again, the complete opposite. And um, because he was in the neonatal unit, so I immediately had to start pumping because I couldn't be with him. So I would ferry him up tiny little bits of colostrum and the entire beginning of our um, breastfeeding journey was was massively jeopardized. At, at points, I didn't even think that I would be able to breastfeeding, breastfeed him because I didn't even know how long we would be in the hospital. And he was so tiny, he needed to be fed up. So formula was probably an easy way. But I kept pumping enough so that slowly the formula was reduced and the breast milk was increased within the little syringes that went into the tubes and by day six or whatever when he was down with me in in the room finally I was able to try and get him breastfeeding and he did a tiny little um bit of time but then that tailed off a little bit and I very quickly started pumping at home as a kind of defense mechanism, thinking, okay, if I don't, if he is going to stop feeding now, I need to have some milk for him and I don't want him to have formula. So how am I going to, how am I going to do this right? Because I always thought our oh, breast milk was right. Really was adamant with him that it was going to be all breast milk and I was going to breastfeed him for two years and it was going to be that easy. And um, when we got him home, he was still tiny. And I did, I did manage to breastfeed fully for maybe six weeks. But then the vomiting began. 
and oh my god the amount of vomit and it just happened very slowly he just he started to become clear that he was regurgitating quite a lot of the feed and that would be soul destroying if you just fed him for half an hour and then quite a lot becomes up but then it became like a game so i would I would feed him and then I would just sit there as still as possible for as long as possible in the hope that the the milk would stay down. And invariably, even if I sat still for half an hour, he would still bump up quite a lot of it. So something was going on. It was very worrying. Very stressful because it meant that at night, if I'd fed him, I would still have to stay upright for as long as I could to make sure it stayed in so that he would then stay asleep a bit longer. But obviously I always didn't do for quite long enough. So he'd vomit up, vomit up. So it meant that he wasn't actually full, which meant that he wouldn't go to sleep. So all of the nights and the days were frantic. We're just sitting there hoping that he doesn't vomit. And it became so crazy, comical. You know, if anyone wanted to hold him, it would be like, no, 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 because no, he's just had a feed two hours ago. So I don't want the milk to come out. You know, it was, it was it was ridiculous. So we had to go to the GP. He was immediately given some formula to like a special broken down cow's milk formula. And he was diagnosed as, as having a potential cow's milk allergy. And this formula was, we were told, okay, you're going to have to top up with this formula. So I kept on with pumping and I tried to mix my breast milk with this disgusting formula. It smelled so bad. And that really did help, but it was just immediately so upsetting because I just so didn't want, I just so wanted to breastfeed. And I was so stubborn about it. And I I should have just been like, yeah, of course he needs that. He needs extra calories. So yeah, my, it doesn't, it doesn't matter. But I kept up with breast pumping for as long as I could. I kept going. I breastfed him at night. His his vomiting slowly got a bit better, but it was intense for a long time. And I mean, sometimes at night you would have, you would just everything would be soaking, either because of breast milk or vomit or formula. It was just, it was just, it was such an intense period of time. And. We managed to get to 10 months and I decided, no, I'm going to, I'm going to give up now. Actually, maybe it was even less than 10 months because by this point I was pregnant with this baby and I, my milk just was like, no, bye bye. So it was just time. And I think because I'm so busy with Donnie and Margot anyway, it's just, it was, it was just the right decision to let go of one thing that was stopping me being from from being with them as much as I could. And it was heartbreaking, but the decision was kind of taken out of my hands with the vomiting. And I really believe that if that hadn't have been the case, I would still be breastfeeding him really. I would I would go on. I would go on and on. I, I, I think two years is my max. I don't think I would go more than two years, but you know, two years in some countries is like the the what you're told to do so it'd be quite cool to go to two years I quite like that and he's sometimes when I hold him he's 15 months now he seems so tiny 
and I see how he drinks his bottle and I'm like, oh, you, this could so easily be me, but it's not. And I feel so guilty. And it's ridiculous. It's, it really is ridiculous. The guilt we put on the, the pressure to breastfeed, the pride of giving the baby solely breast milk. It's just all ridiculous. And I think one thing I wish I had heard or read before I started this whole guilt trip what would was um is oh my god so late combined feeding is actually a brilliant thing for the baby giving as much breast milk as you can but topping up with a bottle of formula and actually in terms of a, of a routine they say you can't give a newborn baby a routine until the baby's eight weeks or something at least and when you're in those new those first days and you just are like craving sleep for longer than an hour or two hours at a time, you just you want a you want a routine because you're like, oh, then it will be okay. And that's assuming you can you I, I was I'm back then I was deluded enough to think that we would ever have a routine. But I remember just yet yeah, so desperately thinking, okay, when he gets to eight weeks, it might get a little better and he might feed a bit more and he might not vomit as much and he can sleep more and um, I completely forgot what I was going to say next. <laughs> I'm so sorry. It was something about feeding, obviously. Oh yeah. So they, they mention in this one book, the 7am, 7pm baby. I read that. I read that book. Can you believe I read that book? Have you read that book? It's not a novel. It's not a great book. It's like a really strict book. It's not an exciting read, but when you are craving a routine, you read anything because you're like, this can, this is what we're going to do and this will work. So I read that book, wrote down everything it said. And one thing it said was try and pump after every feed during the day to build up a bottle so that you can feed the baby a bottle for the nighttime feed. You start feeding the baby, breastfeeding before the bath. Then after the bath, you top up the baby with a bottle of your breast milk. And that will mean that the baby is so full, it sleeps from 7 p.m. to 7 a.m. And if you don't do the pumping, you give the bottle a formula before they go to sleep. So you top the baby up. Great idea. In theory, it never worked for me, obviously ever but maybe this time maybe this time you never know and given that I don't know they've all been so different I just I don't really have any expectations for this baby with my feeding I don't have any dreams for breastfeeding or uh, I'm just gonna let it happen and see what what the baby's like and I you know hope the best but I'm not going to put the same pressure on myself to be 100% breast milk. I think it's also weird when you're a vegan. I think if I wasn't vegan, I wouldn't have such a problem with formula. Because there aren't really any vegan formulas. You can have a soya formula, but it's, you know, if anyone has listened to any of my podcasts with BB, you'll know that I have a, a deep, deep hatred of soy. And I'm, I'm wary of soy. So I won't get into that now. This is not the podcast for my 
soy rant. But um, I don't trust the soy formula because I don't think that you should give too much soy to anyone. So I think that's probably why I have such a big problem with formula. But this time, I'm going to try and be open. going to just see what happens. And if I have to, if, if, if I can't breastfeed, at least I've had an experience of breastfeeding and at least had one amazing experience of breastfeeding. And even my not so amazing experience of breastfeeding were, were in some way brilliant because they're life. And yeah, anyway. I'll, I'll, I'm going to end on something a bit weird. Well, that's actually not weird. Sorry. It's this book I tried. <laughs> it's this book I tried to read a passage from in the last episode, and I'm going to try and do it a bit better in this episode because I want to impress you. And it's the same book, Mother: An Unconventional History by Sarah Knott. And it's it just I was reading this chapter about feeding in preparation for this uh, podcast, which um, you know has been highly informative, I hope that you'll find. Um, but did you know that in the 17th and 18th century, wet nursing was like a huge thing? And it's something people don't talk about in this day and age, really, do they? If you know any wet nurse, is, is wet nursing a big thing? might look it up. Not that I would ever do it, but, you know, I'm not working as an actress right now. Maybe I could just get a job wet nursing. Anyway, it's um, really interesting. So I'm just going to read a bit. Probably fail it. I'll cut this if it's awful. Okay. I'm now just reading a book and that's not ideal content for a podcast, is it? Just trying to find my highlighted passage. Um, oh yeah, here we go. So, coming from a merchant born in, in 1698, the direction to use a wet nurse was not unusual. Employing a wet nurse was an entirely typical routine among women of status of the 17th century and remained routine, if declining, in the families of aristocrats, the gentry, the clergy, lawyers, slaveholders, merchants and physicians. These women were were required required to run households or business or to reproduce again, and they had the resources to employ someone else. Among the better off, convention held that lactating prohibited sex, increasing the impatience of husbands already chafing at their gander month. I don't know what a gander month is. Chafing at their gander month. Hmm, I'm going to look that up. Lactating was also thought to make a new conception less likely. Well, that is that is quite true, unless you're extremely fertile or not polycystic, like moi. A new mother, this is, this is the bit that I found really interesting because it <laughs> kind of blew my mind. A new mother's breast was sucked by a midwife or another lying in attendant to bring in her milk. Imagine, just imagine, you, you give birth 
and then your midwife starts sucking your boob. Just imagine, I, a 1682 satirist of the pleasures of matrimony remarked on an inadequate lying-in nurse with such a squeamish stomach that she cannot suck her mistress. Someone else had to be found to suck the young woman's breasts for 12 pence a time, or else her breasts will grow hard with lumps and fester for lack of being drawn. The usual attendant did suck to draw the milk. Okay, whatever. <laughs> anyway, imagine that. Because that would make life a bit easier, wouldn't it? If you had a wet nurse or a midwife to come and suck your boobs to get your milk in rather than having to sit up and be awake and hold your Medela pump. So I'm maybe I'll start thinking about who I'm going to hire to do that for me. <laughs> uh, another thing that I didn't talk about was mastitis, which happened with all three. And if you are pregnant and thinking about breastfeeding, just be prepared for mastitis. Now, I am the daughter of two GPs. I have medicine in my family. Uh, we are prone to, I don't know, give quite a quick uh, medical response to things. And antibiotics are, you know, usually recommended quite quickly. Loads of women don't do antibiotics with mastitis because they're afraid that it will affect the, their breast milk and then that, that not be good for the baby and baby will have a bad stomach and it'll be bad. They don't want antibiotics to taint their baby. My experience is that the second you get mastitis, you should take antibiotics because there are some horror stories out there about lumps that have to be chopped off and you can do such damage. And it's so, so bad, mastitis. It really makes you feel like you've got a, such a bad flu and you can't look after your baby with mastitis properly. So the second there's a hint you have it, take the antibiotics in my opinion. But you can do the massaging and the, an electric toothbrush or a vibrator, if you have one, is really good. But it doesn't do enough. You, you, need, you, need, you need help. And just to be really aware of your boobs the entire time. And that's how I'm going to end this podcast. <laughs> I'm sorry. I feel like I wasn't very good today. Um, maybe I blame this is us. I'll try. I try and be a little bit less um, hazy on episode six. What am I going to talk about in episode six? I'm going to talk about kit, and by kit I mean things I think you should get if you're going to have a baby, and things I don't think you should get. Okay, I'm going to go now and I'm going to go to sleep. I'm going to read my book and I'm going to regret most of the things I said in this podcast. So thank you for listening and I hope that you are well. If you're pregnant and you are worried, I am here for you. I really enjoy reading people's comments and getting your messages. I am very grateful for your comments on my last podcast about co-sleeping because that's quite a divisive subject. I actually just did a Patreon diary entry, which go alongside these podcasts about 
yeah, how people reacted to that co-sleeping podcast. It was fascinating. So, um, it, it's it's so nice to have people come out the woods and be like, yes, it's great. It is great. It's not like people think it is. It's not creepy. It's great. So that was really nice. And obviously I got some horrible comments too, but you know, that's that's the game we're in. I'm in. I'm in the game. Thank you for listening to my first nighttime whenever it kicks podcast. Good night. Sweet dreams.